Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Hello there, prom party. Hello. I hope that everyone has been having a wonderful, fantastic, coolness, remarkably wonderful Pride Month. <laughs> yeah, we've actually inadvertently made this much more um, prideful than we were planning. Yeah, we didn't intend on doing back-to-back theme months, but spoiler alert, almost everything we've covered this month has been hella gay. Only sort of, like 13 Going on 30 had like a faint trans read. Mm-hmm. Sorority Boys is a straight movie that I made much gayer than probably they wanted to. <laughs> but now we're doing an actual queer movie. This one. So this one's deliberate. This one has been highly requested and y'all have been begging us since the beginning. When are you going to cover But I'm a Cheerleader? When are you going to cover But I'm a Cheerleader? It's okay, baby birds. We will feed you. And today is that day. Yeah. (laughs) There's so much that comes with talking about this movie, isn't there? There is so much to say with But I'm a Cheerleader, and we're going to say all of the things. But Harmony, I'm curious what your introduction to But I'm a Cheerleader was all about. I think I saw But I'm a Cheerleader at one of the weirdest ages to see it. Which was, I, w- I think it was like, would have been 19 or 20 years old. And it was shown to me at the uh, LGBT Center in Cleveland. Because in order to get like grant funding, they had to actually like have some sort of program to, to, to do stuff with the youth there. So mm-hmm. like anyone from like 16 to 24, like y- you had to have some sort of programming in order for like the center to, to, to get their funding. And oftentimes that meant, hey, we're just going to show you a queer movie and then not talk about it. So it's basically like a substitute teacher just absolutely checking out for the day. Yeah, that's how I saw Transamerica for the first time. That's how I saw Kids. I love Kids. Uh, Kids is real fucked up when you just drop it in front of a bunch of people and then you don't talk about it. Because then we all just sit there and go, this feels like we're watching like child porn it's really unpleasant yeah that's not a movie that you should ever just spring upon somebody yeah it was almost like a uh, like kind of like a scared straight thing i think they were going for where it's oh, like God. look look at how your life could be ew no look, look how troubling your life could be absolutely not but that's you have ineffective. resources here like i think that's what they were going for i don't ew, know but, i hate that <laughs> but yeah most of the things were selected by uh, mid-30s lesbians so being lesbians who are in their mid-30s uh, but i'm a cheerleader they were a big fan. Yeah, this is a pivotal film. Oh, of course. A, a monumental film mm-hmm. for them. 
I think me seeing it at like 19, 20 years old is a weird time Mm -hmm. because I don't know how I feel about this film. Okay. I love it and I don't love it. And I almost feel like I was a little too old to have like the warm fuzzies for it, Mm -hmm. but not old enough to be like nostalgic for my teenage years yet. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was in this weird place where this movie didn't click the first time I watched it. I just was like, ooh, colors. Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen it plenty of times since then, five to ten times most likely in the year since then. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I still have a complicated feelings on this movie. My feelings are not complicated at all. I know. You love it. I love this movie. Yeah, you're, like, you're very simple on that. Yes, I'm very <laughs> simple on this. I uh, unabashedly love this movie. The first time I saw this movie... And for legality's sake, this did not happen. And the person that this happened with does not exist. But I watched this movie with someone who does not exist. When I was 15 or 16 years old, uh, hopped up on a lot of like Robitussin and hallucinogenic drugs. I'm sure that that is quite the way to view all of the colors and surreal shit that happens in this movie. My brain could not process what was happening because the color shifts are so strong that I was like just tripping out the whole time and then add that on top of the fact that this is also when the years of me really starting to struggle with my sexuality are coming into play Mm -hmm. because this is when like the stranglehold of compulsory heterosexuality started to butt its ugly head Mm -hmm. and it was very uh Otherworldly, I guess, is the only way I can describe it. Mm-hmm. And in the years since then, I've obviously seen it in completely sober-minded and much older. And there's something really special about this movie, especially for when it was released. Um, and I love it. I love But I'm a Cheerleader. It speaks to me on a lot of different levels that we will absolutely dissect the shit out of. Mm-hmm. So I would love if you could paint the stage pop culture-wise of what we were dealing with in 1999 oh fuck me um 1999 was a hell of a year yeah y2k baby yeah i don't think that was the main reason that it was a (laughs) hell of a year there there was a lot going on and uh, oh god uh we'll just start with teen movies because this was a banger of a year like hit after hit after the Rage Carry 2 after the hit after the hit. <laughs> so here's some of the things that were coming out the year that But I'm a Cheerleader was released. Jawbreaker, Idle Hands, The Rage Carry 2, which BJ loves and I, I think is fine. We're doing it at one point and you'll deal with it. <laughs> I don't love it nearly as much as you do. Uh, Drive Me Crazy, Superstar, technically. She's All That, Varsity Blues, Drop Dead Gorgeous, Detroit Rock City, Never Been Kissed, American Pie, 10 Things I Hate About You, Virgin Suicides, and Election. That's subversive teen cinema, like, hit its peak in 1999. And yet, this was also, like, the sort of time where you uh, would then get into the not another teen movie era, where Mm -hmm. everyone's like, that's enough, let's make fun of it, not realizing all of these movies are wildly different films, except for maybe 10 Things I Hate About You and She's All That. Uh Uh-huh. One of which is much better than the other. We all know where you stand. <laughs> so the thing that I actually found most interesting when I was researching the teen movies for this era is I look at like this list. 
And so many of these feel like, oh no, that is a definitive teen movie. And maybe that's just because of the age that you and I are, where these feel like such like era defining teen movies. Mm -hmm. But it says a lot about who was reviewing films at the time that most of these movies have really bad reviews. Yeah, it is a complete reflection, in my opinion, of where we were at in the world of film criticism. Because a movie like Jawbreaker has what, like a 13%? 13%. How? It is the worst reviewed Rotten Tomato movie on that list. That's absurd to me. Uh huh. It just, we hate women and queer people so fucking much. For, For context, Jawbreaker's about as bad as Sorority Boys is, That's... according to Rotten Tomatoes. And don't get me wrong. If you've listened to last week's episode, you'll know that I have really come around on that movie. And Yes, but a... one of these is objectively better than the other. Yeah. And it's, it's not just, even close. And I, I want to clarify because also people love taking things out of context because I don't trust anyone on the internet. When I say, like, we really hate women and queer people, I'm saying we, like, as a society and as a culture, not, like, us individually because we're both women and queer. But... It really is just a glaring neon sign that says we don't understand these types of films and therefore we are either afraid of them or we hate them or we don't think that they're worth anything. And Oh yeah, we despise things that are marketed towards teen women in general. Yeah. Like it, you would you'd see it for all of the backlash of like Twilight as a good example, like just ten years after this. Yeah. It's, and it's just this adamant social thing of like, this is for girls and it's about love. That means it's bad. They ruined horror. They ruined vampires. I hate everything. I wish Edward Cullen would die. Yeah, it's it's really awful. And I'll be the first to admit, did I participate in that sort of behavior? Totally. Because I was an 18-year-old who wrote about horror. So every person that I met was like, oh, I bet you only like Twilight. And I was like, no, I like Argento because I'm not like most girls. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we all perpetuate some sort of internalized misogyny. That's how the fucking world works. And it sucks. And you have to do that unlearning. Mm-hmm. But it is so apparent that culturally we hate women and queer people and the things that we like and then it is reflected in how women and queer people are treated. Mm-hmm. Because we already know the root of homophobia is misogyny. Like, that, it is yeah. what it is. Oh, I'm going to take a deep breath. Yes. So, stepping away from the teen cinema, let's focus on queer cinema. Yes. Okay. So, we're in, like, new queer cinema 90s. So, we got some good shit. Yes. See, the thing is, a lot of movies had, like, little queer side characters or little bits like, one of the interesting things that I loved when I researched queer movies from this year, it was like, The Boondock Saints. I'm like, well, okay, um, a cross-dressing scene does not qualify as a queer movie, so you need to chill the fuck out. But <laughs> yeah. as far as, like, legitimate queer cinema goes, there are three really, really big ones that came out this year. And two of them especially, but all of them have better reviews than teen cinema. We have Cruel Intentions. Yes. We have Boys Don't Cry. Oh, God. Yeah, Okay. And we have, um, and I'm just going to go on, get, get on my soapbox here for a second, that I will commit trans cinema sin by saying, I fucking hate The Matrix. <laughs> I knew this was coming. I really fucking hate The Matrix. I think it's, I, I have never thought The Matrix was good. When I was 10 years old and was like the prime demo to be like, bullet time. Whoa, so cool. No, I thought The Matrix was uncool then. <laughs> and I mostly don't like the Wachowskis films, but... That's that's neither, neither here nor there, Happy Pride. <laughs> Do you want something that'll make you happier? Yes. It's not queer, but Deep Blue Sea came out this year. Fuck yeah, Deep Blue Sea came out this year. <laughs> not queer at all. 
<laughs> I figured you would enjoy that. It makes me so happy. The sharks are queer icons. They're mo- this monstrous femme. <laughs> Um, I think it's also really important, especially for this movie in particular, that we look not just what was going on in pop culture, but what was just going on politically at the time. I mean, the easy segue to that is talking about Boys Don't Cry. Yes and no. Um, I would say yes in the sense that this is, Boys Don't Cry is kind of what kicked off the trend of sad queer cinema uh oscar Beatty cinema oh yeah no it's absolutely um obviously the murder of brandon tina was not as big of a deal in the news as one would have thought no certainly not in retrospect no it was only a big deal because of the movie and you know based on a true story and everyone's like oh my god how this is terrible Mm -hmm. but 1998 is when we have the murder of matthew shepard yes and that is in a lot of people's opinion, kind of a turning point moment for queer liberation and queer rights. Mm-hmm. Because right now in, in 99, you know, we're still in the Clinton administration and the Clinton administration is very wishy-washy in its queer progressiveness. It's doing some typical Democrat, you know, playing ball. Yeah, there's a lot of both sidesing that happened during this time because while, yes, Clinton was somebody who hired like the first gay ambassador, um, you know, to to the U.S., uh, a lot of money for AIDS funding went up, especially in comparison to the administrations that came before. Uh Um, Clinton also, in hindsight, we obviously know that it was not good, but, you know, don't ask, don't tell, which a lot of people forget that it's also don't ask, don't tell, don't intrude don't harass something Mm -hmm. like that um like everyone forgets the second half that like you're also not supposed to treat people poorly but it was never executed which is why we just remember it as don't don't ask don't tell that was supposed to be you know the the playing ball of we can let queer people be in the military we just don't talk about it Mm -hmm. obviously in hindsight we know like that's not good like that's still shitty and that's why that law no longer exists but Compared to previous administrations, Clinton was doing a lot more for the LGBTQ plus community than any president ever had. The problem with that is that it was also terrifying to evangelicals and the conservative right. And fresh off of the heels of Matthew Shepard's murder, which did make national headlines, which was a huge story, now we started getting this upswing of people that were like, this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. This is no way for people to live. We need to fight for queer rights. And then because of that, we then get like the wheels turning for the Bush administration because Bush is now going to be running for president. Mm-hmm. And we tend to forget that Bush was running very much on like a I swear I'm not going to legalize gay marriage ticket that we then saw even worse uh, upon his reelection campaign. Oh, yeah. That's the thing that like is much more glaring in hindsight with George Bush is because his whole ticket was like, I'm a Washington outside. I'm a good old country boy, and I also hate the gays. I'm just like you, except my daddy was president. Right. So, and, you know, relatable fellow. Yeah, really annoying. But what I think is really interesting about this time is this is also something that I think we're seeing happen in a cycle because it's happening now. Oh, yeah. Where after Matthew Shepard was murdered, there was this big push for queer liberation and for queer rights, which meant that a lot of Republican politicians and even Democratic politicians started implementing more and more laws to limit gay people's 
equality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it picked up even more so in the coming years when when Bush would get elected. And that's kind of what we're seeing now where we're finally getting like trans rights and people trying to fight for trans rights. So now the religious right is pushing and passing more restrictive laws than ever before. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just really fucking sad that this is how it works. But 99 is a really interesting time period, in my opinion, because of that. Because oh, Especially in hindsight. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. So for this movie to come out when it did, like, to say that it was boundary-breaking is such an understatement mm-hmm. because there's nothing like this movie mm-hmm. at all. And I can't believe that it got made straight up. I cannot believe it got made. Yeah. Yeah. Like this was a, um, like to sort of pivot this a little bit into like talking about other queer, pol- uh, into other queer media though. This was a time where if you were queer, you had to play nice mm-hmm. and be digestible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's a fucking dirtbag of a person and apparently a monster, but Ellen DeGeneres had lost her show the year before this because mm-hmm. she came out and they were like, well, we can't have her on TV. Right. And, you know, like, fuck Ellen the person, but on on principle, that's messed up. But you had stuff like, uh, you, you, had, you had queer television that was existing at the time, but it had to follow like very strict rules on what it could and couldn't be. Like um, Will and Grace. Yeah. Like Will and Grace is not aged well and only functions... In, in a very specific light, but that was the way that you could get queer stories on television or something like Oz where it could only function on what HBO and mm-hmm. it was prison sex. So it's like, well, I mean, it's gay, but it's, you know, it's prison. It's different there. You know, we, we would see um, Orange is the New Black touch on similar subjects, you know, a decade and a half later or the big show probably being Queers Folk. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And also this year was the year Spongebob came out, and he's asexual, but everyone always makes jokes about how he's gay with Patrick. Yeah. So? Spongebob's asexual. We, he's a sponge. We've been over this. <laughs> of course he's asexual. He's a sponge. <laughs> and, you know, this is also just a few years before, like, Rosie O'Donnell comes mm-hmm. out and then, like, loses oh, jobs. She, she, she's, she's no longer allowed to be around children? Yeah. And so that's what we're trying to say, like, when we're at this really weird place because there's a push for queer representation and queer justice, while at the same time, like, a humongous backlash in response to it from Mm -hmm. the conservative right. So it was not an easy time to be out and open. Mm -hmm. I mean, and this is also, like, we're fresh off of the the AIDS epidemic. Mm -hmm. So we're also a community that's in mourning and we've just lost an entire generation of people. Mm-hmm. So it's it's all of this is happening as the community is rebuilding. And it just becomes this, it's just this, 1999 to like 2004 is like such another planet, I think, to me. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to explain that, I think, sometimes to like Gen Z. Because I don't think their brains can like process how bad it was. Well, it's almost like discussing the AIDS epidemic, which, you know, a lot of younger people don't really focus on queer history because mm-hmm. why would they? It's not being taught to them and it's unpleasant and it's there. there's a distinct divide between generations in the queer community where yes. they're not really intermingling. But the AIDS epidemic, you can kind of understand the general idea. You can't understand how bad it was necessarily unless you actually research it or talk mm-hmm. to people who understand, but like you can understand the general idea. But- the very late 90s 
to the mid 2000s is so hard to encapsulate mm-hmm. that you can't easily describe what it was like. No, because this is also, I mean, we discussed it with like our Josie episode and some of the other ones that came around this time period. This is also where we're starting to birth like edgelord and cringe humor mm-hmm. where part of the popularity was to be as harmful and cruel as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. So now this is where we're going to really start to get an uptick of hateful language and Mm -hmm. just normalizing that's so gay. Like that's what's happening right around now. Everything is gay. This is is a couple years post South Park. And then this is like the birth of online Mm -hmm. stuff, specifically like um, E-bombs world, new grounds, Mm -hmm, things like mm -hmm. that, where it's like, oh yeah, no, just be, be an internet shithead. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Especially because like the, these gen- these movements on the internet in particular are being led by like fifteen year olds who don't know any better. Right. So then who who's there? Who's you can't stop them. Yeah. Who watches the Watchmen in this case? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it's really important to sort of have that context because again, I love this movie and I'm going to argue of its importance until I'm blue in the face mm-hmm. on this episode, and it's so important that the context is available of when this movie happened because mm-hmm. otherwise like the importance it doesn't feel as important when you watch it you're like oh that's a cute movie about lesbians and there's like fun colors okay but you don't fully understand like how mind-blowing it is that this movie exists mm-hmm. without that context yeah so let's get into the movie yes and let's talk to our friends over at fandango our friend dangos about the synopsis and uh let's see how i feel about this one it, i think i feel like this one's going to be interesting Megan, Natasha Lyonne, considers herself a typical American girl. She excels in school and cheerleading, and she has a handsome football-playing boyfriend, even though she isn't that crazy about him. So she's stunned when her parents decide she's gay and send her to True Directions, a boot camp meant to alter her sexual orientation. While there, Megan meets a rebellious and unashamed teen lesbian, Graham, Clea Duvall. Though Megan still feels confused, she starts to have feelings for Graham. That's that's pretty right. It feels like the after school special description of this movie well, that's yeah. going to make it sound palatable for your parents and they'll let you rent it at Blockbuster. Yeah, but it it's mostly right. It's yeah. just, you know, queer people have to you have to you have to tone it down. You have to mm-hmm. you have to play gotta nice. Play nice. Got to yes. be palatable. That's, Respectability that's, politics. That's what that is. Yeah, for sure. So, diving into it, let's talk about, you know, the cheerleader. Let's talk about Megan. How do you feel about Megan? It's so weird to see Natasha Leone in this character. Being like so nice and peppy and girly and not like the Natasha Leone that we know now who would punch your face and steal your cigarettes. Yeah, especially because the Natasha Leone that I knew growing up was the one from American Pie, which came out the same year as this. Mm-hmm. And she's uh, she's sort of normal Natasha Leone. She's mm-hmm. she's scrappy. She sort of doesn't give a fuck. She's like, eh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's like her whole attitude that she's built a career off of. So seeing her in this role, it's very bizarre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, I understand it, but I don't understand it. I love her so much in this because... There's something so pure about Natasha Leone in this because she's got those big doe eyes. Mm-hmm. So when she's having these moments of like, I don't know what you're talking about. She looks so dewy and cute and she's got like her bouncy blonde hair and they've, you know, styled it so it looks very 
late 50s, early 60s. It's, it's, it's very housewifey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very, very cute. But more so, I love that this is a movie about a femme and specifically about a femme who is like, but I can't be gay because I'm a cheerleader. Because as y'all know, I'm a retired baton twirler. <laughs> and that was an absolutely real thought that came into my head all the time growing up. I was like, it's impossible for me to be gay. I do pageants. I do baton twirling. I can't be gay. Why don't we discuss the issues in your intervention? Well, I'm a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. I have pictures of women around. You think that's normal? Sure. I never really thought about it. Have you ever had a boyfriend? Yes. For two years, we've been going steady. I really love him. He's smart and popular. He's got the biggest dick I've never seen. Well, um, have you ever had sex with him? I'm a Christian. It's really easy to be a prude when you're not attracted to him, isn't it? He's very handsome. But does he make you hot? I mean, do you think of him at night when you... I'm not perverted. I get good grades. I go to church. I'm a cheerleader. This, the messaging that we put out into the world about queer people, especially in the 90s, even if you're queer, you're getting that same messaging. Mm-hmm. So even if you're gay and you're like, well, I clearly am gay and I am also high femme and do these really femme things. If the world is telling you you can only be gay if you look like Ellen or Rosie O'Donnell, then you're like, aha, well, I'm not like either of them. So I clearly can't be gay. Yeah. The reason that everyone thinks she's gay is not because she looks gay. It's because she acts gay. Right. And that's, duh. You you can be gay or queer or trans or anything and look like anything. Mm -hmm. But like, oh, well, you act like a lesbian. That's what makes you a lesbian, which is correct. But this Mm -hmm. whole movie functions under stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Like to the point of, if you don't know what's going on, I feel like maybe Gen Z people would find this movie really homophobic and offensive because they don't understand the satire that's happening. They don't understand the satire at all. Yeah. I, I feel like you can only have this story function if you have a main character who's like the all-American girl like Megan. If you were to look at this in a different movie, you would have someone like Dante Bosco's character who's the football player in sports and varsity football. Mm-hmm. Like you have him and Megan, they would end up together. Yeah. And I mean, they do end up in the same house together, but right. in completely different <laughs> circumstances. So, like, those would be your main characters in most American, super American teen films. And if this movie starred someone like Clea Duvall as the one we really focus on, it'd be like, oh, yeah, of course you're fucking gay. Look at you. Right, because even in movies like The Faculty, where she's clearly coded as gay, but she's gay. wasn't allowed to be, I'm assuming, because of producer stuff, because there's no way in shit all hell that Kevin Williamson was not going to let her be gay. Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't get to be gay, but the whole movie is about how gay she is. Mm-hmm. But you're right about the stereotypes. Like, the stereotypes are that she, you know, doesn't have pictures of boys in her locker, and she listens to Melissa Etheridge, which that is a really funny thing to me. Because just thinking about like anyone that isn't a like 35-year-old or a mom listening to Melissa Etheridge. It's a lot more of a red flag. <laughs> yeah. I think at her age, maybe it would have been closer to like indigo girls, possibly. They're they're a little less like butchy and husky. Well, it would definitely be indigo girls because this what is so funny to me is that the characteristics of Megan in this movie that is making everyone flag her as gay are the exact same characteristics of Kat 
in 10 Things I Hate About You, but we view Kat as like feminist icon or in terms of that movie, all of the men view her as like shrill and unapproachable. She has the same interests as Megan. Uh, to an extent. Megan's I, she, a vegan. She doesn't, she's she doesn't listen to Riot Girl music and she's not so aggressive about her ideals. I think that's why she is palatable. Yeah, this is respectability politics yeah. with Megan. And yeah. oh God, it just makes me so frustrated. Um, but I, I love her. I love that she's femme and I love that she is also somebody who is trying to figure it out. She's somebody who's clearly in compulsory heterosexuality because she's got the the jockey boyfriend and all of the, oh my God, all of the shots of the two of them kissing where she is just disassociating and thinking in, about pointy nipples. In her defense, he's not a very good kisser, is he? No, he looks, a tr- no, don't no, ever like, kiss someone like that. They're, they're, no, they're like, oh, well, you don't like kissing your boyfriend. It's like, maybe he's not doing it right. It's like, he clearly isn't. He kisses her <laughs> like Sylvia Ganosh gums Allison Lohman to death in Drag Me to Hell. <laughs> Like, that's how he kisses yeah. her. <laughs> Ew, yeah. Yeah, it's gross. <laughs> it's disgusting. Um, but the other thing, too, about Megan that I like that this movie shows is that despite the fact that she is gay, she is struggling not only to accept that, but also really struggling to understand why a gay community is so important mm-hmm. for her. I mean, her parents are Bud Court and Mink Stoll, which is also just a brilliant form of cult casting. Oh, of course. My God, incredible. Um, but there's a moment when they're at True Direction's conversion camp where she does come across two guys kissing, and she totally narks on them. And cop collar. Yeah, she's cop collar on it. She, she's a good American girl. Because One, she's a good American girl, and she feels like that's what she's supposed to do. But two, she even has that internalized homophobia because she doesn't just catch them. She yells, ew, at them. And I think that's a part of a lot of queer people's journeys that we never want to talk about because it's so ugly for people to have to admit, hey, yeah, I had all this messaging where I thought this was wrong, So that was my response to it. Like, there's this kid going viral on TikTok right now that's like, as a gay man, I don't understand why we have to have Pride Month. I've never experienced discrimination. And it's just like a ton of people being like, yeah, you haven't. Shut the fuck up, though. And Megan's kind of going through that right now. Yeah, which is a much smarter read than my gut instinct of that scene, which is, uh, yeah, there's definitely young lesbians who go like, ew, kissing boys, uh, and then vice versa. Yeah, I was like, there's totally gay men who were like, oh my god, vagina is gross. They're like, they, they, they do this like, like a little flimp, limp wrist of like, uh, motion. Yeah, I've like, definitely. I've seen a lot of teen, like I've hung out with a lot of, uh, a lot of young gay men who that's precisely how they think about pussy. Yeah, and I know plenty of lesbians that are like, I knew I was a lesbian because I, I think dicks dick. are gross. Shut up. Like that one comedian. Yeah, all of you grow up. Yeah. Stop being transphobic. Um, but I, I like that this movie is is willing to go there. And I think that's, it's really important. And I know for me growing up, it was really important. I never thought that like being gay was gross. I never had any of those sort of reactions. But I definitely had some internalized homophobia. It's definitely one of the contributing factors to where I was like, I'm going to have sex with men because I think it's hilarious. I did think it was hilarious. Mm -hmm. But also, I feel like subconsciously there was this part of me that was like, hey, maybe one time it'll click and then I won't have to accept that I'm gay. I don't know. This is why I'm in therapy. Yeah. I've been seeing a lot of 
stuff going around like during Pride Month of being like, hey, share what your uh, your queer awakening was. And I'm like, I don't know how that physically applies to me. That That's complicated because technically at the time it was a straight awakening. Yeah. Because I'm, as you've heard in our intro, like I grew up as a teen boy. I'm not necessarily one of those people who is like, oh, well, um, I was always a girl. And it's like, well, I wasn't living as one and I didn't identify as one. So for all intents and purposes, I wasn't. Yeah, you didn't have the language for it yet. And also something that I know we've talked about especially with like trans people is a lot of times trans people just think that they might be gay because mm-hmm. they know something is wrong. They just don't know what it is. So they're like, well, if I feel wrong, then clearly it must be gay. But and- for you as somebody who was assigned male at birth and socialized to be, you know, a man being attracted to women, like that was what you were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So y- there was no way to question that. So well, that's kind of what me figuring out my sexuality was in high school was because I think it was my junior year. I didn't really come out, but I was just kind of like, I don't know, maybe dicks are fine. <laughs> and everyone's <laughs> like, are you gay? And I'm like, I don't know. I've never been with a dude before, so I can't say that I don't like it. And everyone's like, you're gay. I'm like, no, I definitely like women. Like women are, have you ever seen any woman? <laughs> like the, like a mediocre woman will trump a hot guy in any category, <laughs> like easily. <laughs> but that was kind of where I was like, well, maybe I'm bi because, I don't know, I feel different. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have this figured out. And then I, like, went on a single date with a single guy where it was, like, a guy-on-guy date. And it's the worst date I've ever been on. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been on some bad dates. It was the worst date I was ever on. Yeah, because surprise, he was, no, you're he was, not a gay man. <laughs> true, but also he was terrible. <laughs> like, this was the kind of date where he drove me to McDonald's and then ordered food for himself. And then as we drove away, wait. Wait, do you want something? Great. And then we went to the beach on Lake Erie, so it it was raining, so that he could chase seagulls around. Because I just always wanted to catch one. What would you do if you caught one? I don't know. And he also, we we were driving, and we were listening to the Lion King soundtrack. I'm already out. And he said, oh, well, I just learned something, and it's, like, awesome. And I'm like, yeah, what's that? And he's like, did you know, like, Elton John is gay? Please send this man home. <laughs> like I can, I honestly, I can just dog on this dude for 10 minutes because it, it that's not even the tip of the iceberg on why the story is bad, but worst date I've ever been on for lots of reasons. <laughs> and I, I've been with dudes and I thought maybe this is fine. And it wasn't, it was never, it was never for me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I was figuring it out. And that's the thing. Sometimes you got to figure it out. Not all of us got to grow up with fucking TikTok where if I need to figure out if I'm a queer, non-binary, demi-sapiosexual that I can just like type in a hashtag and find 30 people talking about their experiences and go, ah, no, that makes sense for me. Or, ah, that doesn't really make sense for me. Let me try a different hashtag. Like that Mm -hmm. did not exist for us. We were all just kind of running around being like, I don't know what's happening and I'm filled with hormones. Yeah, basically. And this movie is doing that. It's showing Megan running around being like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm full of hormones. The thing is, I don't even know. She's full of hormones, but like not in a, I don't know, a weird way. She's not like in a lusty way. She's mostly just, she she thinks about women on her like cheer squad. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's, I think it's in terms of interest or attraction, but not like in a perverted sense, even though they're, they're perverted shots. Mm-hmm. Like it's like upskirts and pointy nipples and mm-hmm. whatever. But there's also that moment where she's just like, wait, no, everybody thinks about that. So, and I think that that's a really interesting thing is so 
I love that when she's having those like fantasy moments, it's purely on like the upskirt shot or on the nipple. It's on like the female form. It's not about her friends. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important distinction because especially when we get into these conversations about like locker rooms. It's like the concept of them. Yes. But not specifically their faces or personalities. It is the concept of the female form, not like my specific friend played by Michelle Williams. Like Mm -hmm. that I think is really, really important. Because as somebody who, you know, I shared locker rooms for many, many, many years with, you know, 50 plus women. Mm-hmm. I never once thought about any of them sexually. And we were in like the smallest, most sequindy, like leotard outfits possible. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about any of them sexually because like those were my friends. Those were my, my quote unquote, my sisters. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to think about them sexually. Would I go home and like watch lesbian porn because I like the idea of women because I'm gay? Yes, but you can separate that the same way that straight people are not magically trying to fuck every single person that they see. Like, that, it, there's such a weird disconnect that people have, especially with queerness, about this. Yeah, something that we didn't get to talk about in last week's episode on Severity Boys that I thought kind of, kind of sticks with my brain is that there's that shower scene mm-hmm. where, um, you know, Daisy is with Leah and, like, you know, fucking transphobes can point at that and be like, see, that's a man and he's looking at her boobs and it's gross and inappropriate. I'm like... Dude, any woman in that house could look at her boobs and it would be the same level of inappropriate. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not sexual. Maybe it is. That, that, that's just when, – when you start thinking about things in terms of like men and women can't be in the same space because of this, no, it, it, it can be this or it could not be this. There's a lot of complicated shit, you know? And what's funny is that that very belief of like – we can't put men and women in the same spaces. Like, you know, we get to a certain age where suddenly our sleepovers start being gender exclusive. I was never allowed to go to sleepovers. I know. <laughs> that, that certain age started, like, at birth. Yeah. I never got to go any of the girls' sleepovers, so I just sat at home alone. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I played Animal Crossing because Ed, Ed the horse will let me hang out with him. <laughs> <laughs> I miss you, Cube, my buddy. But when that sort of thing starts happening, that is the same belief that is then carried on to this conversion therapy camp because we have all of the budding lesbians and all of the budding gay put men. Them together. Right. They, they keep them totally separated. And it's the same kind of like, that seems counterintuitive to me as when I, you know, kissed the girl in kindergarten and her parents sent her to an all girls Catholic school. It's a good idea. And in hindsight, I'm like, why would you do that? Like, you're you're afraid your daughter's a lesbian, so the answer is to send her to an all girls school where you can get reprimanded by being hit with a ruler. You're exacerbating things. What mm-hmm. are you doing? Or you think about all these stories that people have where it's like, oh yeah, my budding gay romance at summer camp. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, oh yeah, we went swimming and we slept in the same bunk, and it was like, oh hey, we're bu- we're, we're we're friends. We're friends who met over the summer. Right. So we we have this you know conversion therapy camp. Where Kathy Moriarty is keeping all the lesbians in one room together. And I'm like, what? Of course there's going to be some riffraff. What were you expecting? She was asking for trouble. Like, they are canoodling. (laughs) They're canoodling. And they're all developing electrocution fetishes. Yeah, that's definitely a a thing that the goth girl does, huh? So, yes. So we've kind of dissected Megan. So let's kind of really look at what's going on at True Direction. So Mm -hmm. for those who haven't seen it... It's a conversion therapy camp, but it's not so much like Boy Erased where it's terrifying. 
Um, I mean, there's obviously terrifying elements to it because any form of conversion therapy is fucking terrifying. But it's very campy. It's very, like, rigid in gender roles to the point where everything is Mm color-coded and it feels very tongue-in-cheek. It Mm -hmm. is very John Waters in that regard. But the things that they have them do to kind of, like, quote-unquote fix them and make them more straight are all just unintentionally gay. Oh, yeah. Which makes the satire just so much better. The One of the examples that I love is so the women are all dealing with Kathy Moriarty, mm-hmm. who fucking goddess, and all of the guys are being trained by an ex-gay played by RuPaul Charles when it's as RuPaul the man, not RuPaul the queen. Mm-hmm. But RuPaul has all of the little gay boys trying to be tough, and there's all these like cardboard cutouts of like army men and people chopping down wood and all this just like macho macho man stuff. Where that man's on his knees begging for his life as a man points a suspiciously shaped gun <laughs> at his victim. <laughs> yes. While standing over him. Yes, and it all just looks so gay. And they're and, wearing like little uh, short shorts and, and like mesh like cropped 1970s sports attire where like they're supposed to be like the peak of manhood, but it's now just what gay men in West Hollywood wear now. Yeah, it's the thing is, in universe, it makes sense because Kathy Moriarty's character is also implied heavily mm-hmm. to be like a lesbian because she definitely has these things of like when you think about a woman's soft, supple legs, you don't. Yeah, like she she just drifts off to fantasy land and goes, wait, no, no. And so you have these people who don't know how to be straight trying to teach other people to be straight, and it makes it just extra gay. And Kathy Moriarty's son, Rock, is very much like a Brock Hudson type, where like he's the peak of all American masculinity, but he's hella gay. He's mega himbo, and he yes. dances to like, he rakes leaves while dancing to RuPaul. Yes, just so gay. Okay, now remember that sex is fun. We're making love. There's nothing dirty about it. Sex is beautiful when it's between a man and a woman. Mom. Okay, now from this position, the woman will spread her legs opening like a flower. That's wonderful, Graham. Now at this point, the man will insert himself into the woman. Yes, that's, yes, rock, that's it. Uh, Mrs. Brown. What is it, Joe? What about foreplay? No, foreplay is for sissies. Real men go in, unload, and pull out. So, like, the satire of that is really fun, and, like, the gender role stuff is really funny to me, like, because all of the women learn how to, like, clean and pamper themselves and, like, take care of babies and Mm -hmm. just pick out wedding dresses, just very stereotypical feminine stuff. But they're also becoming, like, bonding agents for all of the girls in this. Because when Graham and Megan start to fall for each other, a lot of those shared moments are while they're, like, scrubbing floors or, like, giving each other pedicures. Also, you're teaching them how to be, like, high femme when most of the women in your program are femme. Yeah, most of them are already femme. And what's super funny to me is so Jan who is the one that's presented as the most masculine because she likes sports. She has a little hair on her upper lip. She I has like dick. She has short hair. She's straight. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where we're pointing out like, oh, everyone assumed that Jan was a lesbian because she's like super butch. She's straight. And mm-hmm. she's been straight the whole time. You're just making these assumptions. And it's a really nice counter 
to Megan, who is like super, super high femme, mm-hmm. but her interests are what makes people think that, you know, she's she's a lesbian. Yes. And I think that that's really special. Or even you have someone like Sinead, who is also very high femme, wears makeup more, she wears more makeup than anyone else in the movie. Mm-hmm. But it's goth makeup. It's so alternative. It's like, that's not appropriate high femme. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't wear fetish collars because, you know, kink doesn't belong at Pride. <laughs> 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 and, then, and then I see all the people who say this on TikTok who recreationally wear fetish collars. And it makes me want to scream. Also, if you couldn't tell from our voices, kink belongs at Pride. We're being sarcastic. Learn your history. My God. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a lot of really good articles about that. Probably the best ones by by Chingy. Yeah, that one's incredible. Um, my my personal favorite of all of the girls, though, and I know that it is like blasphemous to not say Clea Duvall. I do like Graham. Don't get me wrong, and I love Clea Duvall. I think she's great. Mm-hmm. Melanie Linsky, though, I love Melanie Linsky <laughs> on a level that is like so unhealthy. Because Hillary is so fucking cute, and she's Australian, and she's got, like, her 1950s, like, pointy cat eye glasses. Mm -hmm. And of all of the women that are there, I think she's the one who really just, like, does not give a shit. She's like, I'm Hillary, and I'm a lesbian, and I'm doing this because I have to. But, like, she doesn't have the conflict the same way the other ones do. Like, Sinead's conflict is that she has, you know, developed the electrocution fetish because they are all given these wands to zap their clits if with. If you have unpure thoughts. If you have unpure thoughts, which all that's going to do is make people like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, she doesn't really struggle with that. She's just like, this is who I am and I'm here because I have to be. And I love that about her. Mm-hmm. And I think she's just so fucking cute. Melanie Linsky's always been cute. She's cute in this. She's cute in Heavenly Creatures. She's cute in literally everything she's ever been in. <laughs> yeah, no, she's, she's almost like the... St- stealthy one mm-hmm. because she is she's going with the flow she's already them mm-hmm. but she's so not an issue like she's so not a target for all of their programming yeah she's very much like a lisa Loeb lesbian yeah it's like we have fan. bigger fish to fry and you're you are not you are not our biggest concern right now right and then with like our guys I I love them. I think that they're really endearing, but we don't get to spend as much time with them as I would like. No, because this is a lesbian movie. It's a lesbian movie, yeah. Like, we have Dante Bosco, who, you know, is great. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, you know, the source of one of my favorite gifts of all time is, like, you know who you are and you know who you want. Shit. Like, oh, uh, that, so that good. kid who is so gay and he is great and also the worst <laughs> because he's the part of, like, gay male culture that steals all of their shtick from black women. Mm-hmm. 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 We definitely were not having that conversation 20 years ago, though. No, of course not. We were definitely not having that conversation. I mean, we're barely having that conversation now in a lot of circles. So, yeah, it's a long overdue conversation. Yes. Um, but no, I, I like the kids at the camp a lot. Um, I love the high camp of it all, especially with Kathy Moriarty, because Kathy Moriarty has just like the most aggressive and gravelly voice mm-hmm. like 
you could have absolutely done this movie and had like a Bette Midler type or somebody else been like, oh, hello. And now we're going to teach you how to be nice young ladies. Be like a flight attendant. Yeah, like that could have happened. But it's so much funnier when it's Kathy Moriarty that's like, you have found your roots. Like, oh my God, I'm obsessed with her. She's so much. I love her. Yeah, she's great. I just want more Kathy Moriarty in everything. I don't think she got enough big roles in her career and it makes me sad. Yeah. Like, even Casper, which we covered already, she's not in nearly as much of that movie as I remember. Mm-hmm. She's just so memorable that I think she is. Yeah. Yeah, she's ugh, she's so great. But there's other things that are kind of happening in this movie that I think are really, really important. Like, one of the aspects of their, I guess, conversion is they have them protest two openly gay, like, ex-True Directions members. Larry and Lloyd. Larry and Lloyd. Who have essentially turned their house into like a Safeway halfway house for LGBTQ plus youth, mm-hmm. which that one very important because as we know the homelessness rate of LGBTQ plus youth is astronomically high, mm-hmm. and the fact that they're offering their house for that reason I think is incredible. But there is a level of like evangelizing that's going on with True Directions because it's like you're going to go to this house and we're going to protest, so they have signs that say things like Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, or like silly faggot, dick surfer chicks. Mm -hmm. Like these awful, awful signs that they seem really funny in the context of this movie. But then when you take a step back and you you see them on a pride parade route from angry people. Like these are the same talking points. Like, and that's why it makes it so brilliant is because it's like, yeah, these are things that like the Westboro Baptist Church Mm -hmm. would hold up or, you know, before they became what they are. Protesters frequently would chant these similar things at pride events or, you know, just anywhere. And to to see that being used and being like, no, we're teaching you this is really scary because a lot of the people now who hate gay people and are a bunch of bigots, bigotry is taught. Mm-hmm. So to see evangelizing in action is really upsetting to watch. And granted, in the context of this movie – because it's funny and because it's satire, it allows that safe space and that distance to navigate those emotions a little bit better. Yes. But here's the thing. First of all, I love Larry and Lloyd. Um, I wish that more queer people were able to get into like a financial position where they could help out younger people who are homeless. Absolutely. But, you know. I, at least speaking in terms of where my life is, I certainly am not a, in a position or will ever probably be in a nice enough financial position where I can afford to have people living with me like that. Yeah. Because the deck is stacked against us. Right. But I'm glad that you brought up evangelical because that was something that I had a hard time putting my finger on for why this movie feels weird to me. Mm-hmm. Because as a movie, I, I love everything this movie does. I love how it looks. I love how it's written. The fucking soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like the soundtrack as much as you do. But oh my God, I love it so much. <laughs> I think it's pretty good. I do not love it nearly as much as you do. Fine. I, the, the Lilith Fair Rock is not my genre. This is not Lilith Fair Rock, but th- that is an entirely different podcast. Okay, fine. Anyway. Fine. Continue with your point. <laughs> but we've talked about this extensively. I don't know if we ever mentioned on the podcast, but one of the things that I am so just like put off by in, in film is heavily religious storylines because mm-hmm. I, I almost never get the intended response out of it. I just go, fuck this. I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And I just get irritable. And 
that's kind of where this movie sits with me, where you're saying like, oh, well, this scene, this is funny. I'm like, I don't think it's funny. I don't know if I enjoy a lot of this movie because it just feels sad. Most of the time, it is a sad movie to me. Because of like the because it's conversion therapy because it's rooted in like Catholic and Christian ideals of anti of, of homophobia. I is that, the is the satire feeling too real for you? Um, the satire is fucking brilliant, but it's just it because of what the themes of this are and what they're rooted in. The whole movie is funny and really not fun at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I enjoy watching this movie. Okay, no, this makes complete sense to me, though, because obviously I'm not somebody who has, I don't have a lot of deeply rooted issues with religion or with any sort of like... Oh, yeah, your family was not, let's go to church every week type. No, like I had like phases where I went to church because I thought that's what was expected of me if I wanted to have friends. Mm -hmm. But like my parents are not religious, they don't go to church, like not even on the holidays. It's just not a thing that we did. We got dragged every week. Right. So you and I have completely different perspectives on this. So for me, like I'm able to look at this from a completely distanced and separate place because I have no personal connection to it. I can look at the satire and go, oh, I, I know this is what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like this is these gender roles and all of these things that they're promoting, even to the point where they're dressing like an Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and yeah. simulating sex. Like that is super, super religious imagery and iconography oh, yeah. that's happening. And I'm like, oh, I see what you're doing. Haha, ha, that's funny. This is the most religious movie without like blatant crosses in it, even though Megan yeah. wears one around her neck. But like this yeah. is the most religious film without any of the big T's. Yeah. And I don't like, I don't have any association with it. So it doesn't ever like irk those warning bells in my head. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think for you, there are moments, and I think and I think it's because it's so subtextual and so deeply ingrained in a lot of these conversion therapy things, because that's... Because, yeah, they really don't mention religion pretty much in, at all in this film. No. It, it, it exists entirely in subtext or very tiny things, like, okay, Adam and Eve, that, that's, that's biblical, fine. Or, like, Megan wears a cross, fine. But it's not ever really stated... Right. Like, there's no thing that's like, if you're gay, Jesus is going to cry and yes. smite you. Yes. Like, that's you're not a thing. going to hell. You fall. Like, that doesn't really exist in such strict, in-your-face terms in this film. But what it does show is how deeply ingrained and embedded all of, like, the religious, Christian, Catholic mentality is in all aspects of our lives. Well, yeah, because everyone is insistent that the um, the United States is a is a Christian nation, right? You know, that's that's always been the thing. Even though it's even funny. though it's, it's not, not, a lot but... of people are have, are very convinced of it because that is their whole worldview, right? So now we're having this conversion therapy where we were trying to like tell people that how you're living is wrong or it's unnatural or it's whatever, and without them saying we think this way because the Bible says so. Like, mm-hmm. that's kind of what's bubbling under the surface. I think that is... Harmony. What? You have found your root as to why you don't like this movie. It's... But for real, though. And I only figured it out after this most recent time we watched it, where I'm sitting there and I'm like, why am I... Like, I like this dialogue. I like these characters. Like, there's funny moments. Why am I not enjoying myself? It's 100% that. Yeah, it's, it's entirely yeah. that, which is why when we went into this where I was like, I have complicated feelings about this movie because I love this movie, but I don't enjoy this movie. 
And there it is. Now we know why. No, I I, I knew why. And I was like, I'm just going to save this for the podcast because <laughs> I want to just really spring this on you. <laughs> this, this is your intervention, basically, for, for my feelings on this movie. Well, and I think that that's completely valid. And I think it's important for us to, I know also, I hate that I use the word valid, but. How dare you? It's the word that I have. In my home. This is our, we're both on this lease. In our home. <laughs> You're perspective based on your lived experiences I don't have a word other than valid so I'm just going to pretend that sentence is finished it makes perfect sense and I think it's also really important that we have these differing opinions because but I'm a cheerleader is definitely one of those pieces for queer cinema especially for women Mm -hmm. that it feels like you have to like this movie oh you have to love this movie this this is up there with like the l word in terms of you have to have seen this at some point right and if you tell somebody oh I've never seen it or even in your instance if you're like I have mixed feelings about it people get really heated and really like upset about it Mm -hmm. because and I understand the thing is I understand why because this movie is so important to people Mm -hmm. like this is a movie that's really really important to me and I think what happens is if you say like I have complicated feelings about it rather than go cool unpack that for me I'm curious as to why they take it as your existence and something that probably helped you get through it Mm -hmm. is imperfect therefore you are imperfect and people can't separate those feelings yeah it's like how a lot of people have anything that they're a fan of so intrinsically tied to who they are as people that it's like if you insult the Atlanta Seahawks you insult me as a person right and like that's what all fandoms rooted to but specifically because this is about personal identity as a story it it makes a lot more sense that you know people are going to be so much more defensive of something like this especially when queer cinema in general has to be defended harder than most cinema because it's queer it's it's already people already punch down at it. Yeah. No, you're you're hundred percent right. I know we talk about this with a lot of like feminist films as well, where there ends up this weird divide where it's like, you have to support this because if you don't support women, then you're burp 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 burp. And it's like, well, sometimes movies made by women kind of suck. Well, and yeah. like you don't remember, have to. I remember when um Love Simon came out and all these people were like, We have to go see Love Simon because otherwise they will not make more films like this. I'm like, I really am just not interested in a, 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 a any kind of romance movie. I'm gonna be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And they're like, But you have to. I'm like, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't have to. Mm-hmm. I hope they make more. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they will. I think Love Simon did well for itself. It did. Then it now has a spinoff series on Hulu. See, there you go. So I did not have to. Thank you. <laughs> but no, you're absolutely right, though, because it it is complicated. Because on one hand, yeah, they will absolutely stop making things because if it's not profitable, they won't make things. Yeah. But also, it should not be on the community to appease our oppressors. Like it shouldn't be that way. And no, it, we have to play nice, BJ. It's, oh, it's we have so to be palatable. Annoying. It's so complicated. You have to be like Will. Not like Jack. Yeah. Jack's a side character. Jack's not a main character. Yeah. Even though Jack's the fucking worst. (laughs) (laughs) I I get into this all the time with people, especially when Will and Grace was coming back, where they're like, oh my God, Jack and Karen, I love them so much. I'm like, you shouldn't. You're not supposed to. (laughs) I don't think that you realize just because they're funny, that means you shouldn't be trying to be Jack and Karen because they're the fucking worst. (laughs) Like they're not, yeah, they're supposed to be similarly like i love the show difficult people with oh julie claus and billy Eichner. i also Eichner. love difficult people oh my god my, i love my it so favorite much trans character period is in difficult people mm-hmm. and it's because it's a show that owns that hey like you're not supposed to aspire to be like us we're not good people no and uh brilliant 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 i love yeah. it so much 
But getting back on track with But I'm a Cheerleader, there is a scene that I want to dissect with you because I think that it's also a world that feels very alien now. Mm-hmm. So at one point, they do escape from True, uh, True Directions and they go and they visit a gay bar. Mm-hmm. Megan has a full-blown freak out when it first happens, mm-hmm. which understandably she's struggling with her sexuality like that's going to be very triggering but at the same time it is a low-key gay bar it is not a club it is not like a dance hall but it's called the cocksucker it's called the cocksucker because so it's not that low-key right it's not that low-key i mean like in the sense of like the vibe is low-key yes the 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 ambiance is low-key but it puts it on Front Street. Yes, you know you're going to a gay bar. but It's, it's on not- Front Street and in a back alley. But it is a type of gay bar that doesn't really exist anymore. Gay bars that exist now are like, it's drag night every night. It's Madonna night. It's Britney night. It's Beyonce night. There's glitter. It's a place that now like straight woo girls come for their bachelorette parties. Those are the gay bars that have still survived. A fucking low key, like let's just have a couple brewskis and maybe slow dance. That's not really a thing anymore. Those have pretty much all died out. Like obviously, yes, there are exceptions. Yeah, I think they've morphed into something else. Like back in Cleveland, there is like a very daddy type gay bar Mm -hmm. where all of the men go. And like, honestly, you get kind of shunned if you are not like a dude and go in that building. So like they've definitely morphed into something else, if nothing else. Right. But a bar like the one they go to really does not exist it anymore. It just looks like a pool hall. Yeah, it looks like yeah. a pool hall, and the people that are there just happen to be gay. Yeah. And it's the bar that Homer Simpson accidentally would wander into and be like, <laughs> this is a lesbian bar with no fire escape. <laughs> no, you're totally right, though. But I think that that scene, for me, for sure, was a really, really big deal mm-hmm. because. Like, I knew that I was gay, obviously. Mm-hmm. I knew, you know, my, my friends growing up were some form of bisexual or pansexual. I had plenty of gay guy friends. Um, I had a couple trans friends. Mm-hmm. Um, we should all be so lucky. I know. It's what, live near a big city that's not in Ohio and... You have options. You have options. Yeah. Um, but seeing that scene and seeing queer people allowed to just exist... And they weren't afraid the cops were going to bust them up. They weren't afraid that some straight guy was going to come in and yell at them. They could just slow dance and Mm -hmm. be together. Mm -hmm. Really meant something. Because I had never seen that as a possibility in my life. Yeah. And it's one of those moments where there was a show on Netflix that got canceled after one season called uh, Everything Sucks. Okay. And it's set in the 90s, and it's about kids that are in, like, eighth grade or mm-hmm. freshman in high school. I can't remember. doesn't matter. Okay. But the lead character is in love with this girl, and she's coming to terms with the fact that, like, she's a lesbian. Mm-hmm. And it's very sweet in how they explore it. It's very honest in how they explore it. But these two characters have a mutual love for the Indigo Girls. Okay. So he gets her tickets. And so these little eighth graders like get get their way, sneak up to Portland, and they're going to go see the Indigo Girls. Mm-hmm. And they go to this concert. And like it means a great deal to her, obviously, because like this is a band. But while she's there, she observes lesbians like together and mm-hmm. holding hands and kissing. And like it's clearly for her the first time she's ever seen this as a possibility for when she gets older. Mm-hmm. Because 
when you grow up thinking that you're going to be alone because of the way that you are, mm-hmm. seeing that is so important. And I know for me, there is definitely a, a rooted lizard brain moment from, but I'm a cheerleader and watching Megan dance with that random girl with, you know, braided pigtails and eyeballing Graham and the two of them kissing outside. Mm-hmm. That was so important for me to see. And it's something that I would draw upon anytime I was too afraid to talk to a girl of like, no, I can do this. I can you do gotta this. Gotta make your move. Gotta make the move. Yeah. Women never make moves on other women. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I sure didn't. You had to talk to me first. Yeah. That's, 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 I'd been on dating sites long enough to know that I needed to make a move or no one was going to. <laughs> no, see, I, I love that for you. I... I really like the idea of this bar existing because I, in Cleveland, um, many of them have closed since I first moved there and definitely since I first came out. So many of the like gay bars went out of business and they were all more like clubs. Mm -hmm. And I had pretty universally negative times at all of them. Yeah. All of them were bad um, for a lot of different reasons. So like something like this, I love the idea of this. Mm Mm-hmm. Something like this also uh, set me up for failure, where I was like, I had an expectation of what a gay bar was going to be like, and instead I was greeted with people going like, hey, oh my god, queen, ah, mm," and treating me like a drag queen. Yeah. Or because of the neighborhood that the main gay bar in Cleveland that has since closed was in, everyone sneered at me and treated me like garbage because they thought I was a sex worker. Yeah. So, um... I like the idea of this scene, and I wish things like this existed more. Mm-hmm. I I can't exactly say that I can relate to it. Mm-hmm. And I understand that, and I think this is where we get into that conversation of, but I'm a Cheerleader is a movie that speaks a lot more closely to my experience and less to yours, mm-hmm. and both of us are correct. I think so. That's that's. I mean, I'm, not to give anything away for like what what the final ruling on this movie is going to end up being, but like, I don't dislike this movie. I just don't like this movie. It's like when you say something's fine or it's okay, and people go, "Oh, that means it's bad." It's like, no, that means it's okay, mm-hmm. or you know, it's good, but it's not for me. Mm-hmm. And they go, "Oh, but that means you don't like it." And I was like, "I don't," but I can recognize that it's not bad, right? But people think you think it's bad unless you say it's good, right? Because <sighs> Again, like Twitter has killed all nuance in conversations. It just, it has. Mm-hmm. It's destroyed it. And that's, I think, something that needs to to happen when looking at this movie is you have to bring a nuanced approach to it because it's doing so many things and it's unbreaking so many things. Mm-hmm. Really outside of the fact that this movie is white as fuck, mm-hmm. with the exception of like RuPaul and Dante Bosco and uh, Douglas Spain is in this. Mm-hmm. For the most part, this is it's just a very fucking, oh, and J, like uh, the actress who plays Jan, I'm so sorry, I don't know her name, but this is a really fucking white movie. Mm-hmm. And so that level of intersectionality isn't there. Obviously, there's no one there that's trans. I mean, it's believed that Jan is just really butch, but like, you know, so that's not there. Oh, I always thought that Jan was trans. Is Jan not trans? No. Oh, well, I was always wrong. Yeah. No, Jan's <laughs> just being presented as like being hella butch and oh. mannish. 
whoops. I mean, I could be wrong. I, I know plenty of people who make the trans man read for Jan. Like, that's for sure. But all of, like, the academic stuff I've ever read, that's always been the read is that Jan's the inverse of Megan where Jan is hella butch and, like, sports. So uh, they assume. Yeah. The inverse of Megan makes way more sense. I'm a heterosexual. Uh, not yet, honey. You're almost there. And don't speak out of turn. No, I know. I've never been gay. Huh? <sighs> Jan, remember, uh, you were molested. I mean, just take a look at yourself. I mean, everybody thinks I'm this big dyke because I wear baggy pants, I play softball, and I'm not as pretty as other girls, but it doesn't make me gay. I mean, I like guys. I can't help it. I just want a big fat wiener up my... Amen, sister. So, yeah, this movie's not very intersectional. So in that regard, there are plenty of people that this movie does not speak to. And I understand that and respect that completely. Mm -hmm. And I'm very privileged in the sense that I do have a movie that I can point to that does speak to my experience. And it is very, very important to me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I sort of think of this movie as being gay kids who are plucked from, like, the Edward Scissorhands neighborhoods. And they're all suburban kids, which is why they're all, uh, you know, hella white for the most part. Yeah, and a lot of them have money because if you're sending your kid to conversion therapy camp or conversion camp of any form, you have money mm -hmm. because it is a very profitable industry. And that's a really, really sad thing is to know how much, like a, a massive reason that it's not been outlawed across the country is because it makes a lot of money. Oh, is that is that why? Yeah, I, just, I mean, I just thought we were a country full of bad people. Well, it's that too, but the evangelical dollar is so, so powerful, and it's powerful to an extent that is scary. Mm -hmm. And based on how legislation exists, and the fact that places like Disney are terrified of including like queerness in their their major release properties. No, Disney just had their first gay character for the fifth time. <laughs> Yeah, they're terrified that, like, China or the evangelicals are going to stop giving them money mm -hmm. because they have a lot of money. Because, again, that goes to what you are talking about earlier with Larry and Lloyd. Like, queer people, we have the deck stacked against us. We don't make as much money as, you know, cis straight people. So we don't have the disposable income the way that they do to spend eight weeks in Disney every three months. Like, mm -hmm. we can't do those things. So, yeah, we don't get prioritized. And mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's a, capitalism is fucking bullshit, but we already knew that. No, but um, describing this as scary, that's actually something I've been thinking about a lot lately. And this, the, the thing is, this is a scary movie in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. This is a scary movie. And I don't want to go and to be like, oh, it's a horror movie, but there's distinctive looks and feels and context where a movie is scary versus a movie that is spooky. Mm -hmm. Like, spooky, you can understand what spooky means. Spooky doesn't mean it's scary. Hocus Pocus is spooky, but it's not scary. Yeah. Jaws is scary, but it's not spooky. Yeah. This movie is scary. It's scary, I think, especially right now, because like we were talking earlier in terms of the cycle, we're in another cycle where gay liberation and gay rights are becoming way more progressive and accepted mm -hmm. and people are freaking the fuck out about oh, they're it they're pushing back even harder so they're pushing back even harder yeah. so this movie was probably really optimistic about the future in 1999 absolutely it was yeah they had no idea what was coming mm -hmm. oh 
I mean, just last week, obviously we don't live in Ohio anymore, but I still keep up with it because we have plenty of loved ones that are there. Mm -hmm. They reworded a bill that made the language so vague that Ohio is trying to push to make it so that queer people can be denied healthcare again. Mm -hmm. Like it, it does not stop. And it's really disgusting that that's the world that we're still living in because yeah, in a lot of times we satirize things because we feel like it's a safe place that we can do that now. Mm -hmm. And, but I'm a cheerleader is this satirical piece and yet we went backwards in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And despite the progress we've made, things have now just gotten more complicated. And you're right. It is it is scary it, to, to revisit it and be like, ha, 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 how funny conversion therapy. Look how outdated these gender roles are. Look how silly this is. Oh, but wait. Oh, but wait. Like, look at what's happening with trans youth in sports fucking jk rowling like any of them oh, name what was, something what was her quote recently that 90 percent of her fans agree with her transphobia but they're too afraid to admit it yeah some yeah, nonsense like that was that. real cool i people really need to stop supporting her and just it, as far as i'm concerned at this point kill the harry potter fandom it's done yeah it's 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 tainted it's not coming back you can't disassociate it from her yeah it's done well I'm, not only that but like you know it has a lot of problems in and of itself. Yeah, even outside of her personal transphobia, there's a lot of issues there that I don't think any of us were processing as like 11-year-olds. But now we're adults now, and we no. can look back and go, oh, no. Similarly to how like we can look back at like the witches and go, oh, this is anti-Semitic. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I don't have any uh, investment in Harry Potter, so I can easily say, like, fuck off with it. But I realized that... In the same way that people are really defensive, but I'm a cheerleader. People are really defensive of Harry Potter. But because like, if people, something, but you need to, we 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 need to more learn to contextualize stuff individually, absolutely, and not as just a core part of our being. Absolutely, like for I know that we have plenty of listeners that are huge Harry Potter fans. I can't make you go back in time and make that property unimportant to you. I sure can't do that for myself. Mm-hmm. It's a very important property to me. However, now I'm an adult and I've been able to like know that, hey, this was great for me at that time, but much like an abusive relationship, I don't have to keep hanging on to that Mm -hmm. as part of my identity. Mm -hmm. And I can just keep that in the past and know that this is something that has helped me get to where I am today, whether it was overcoming it or whether it was something that brought me up, regardless, but it's behind me now. We should all be able to learn to do that. And a lot of people struggle with that. I agree. But speaking of moving on to like, you know, an optimistic future in 1999 where God, we did not know what the Bush administration had coming for us. Uh, do you want to talk about the ending of this movie and like the kind of optimistic note it goes out on? Of course. So I don't know how I feel about the ending of this movie. Okay. <laughs> um, I I really like this ending, like in in a lot of ways, where Megan gets kicked out because she's too gay and. Graham stays because she doesn't want to lose, like, her inheritance and all of her stuff from her rich family. Mm-hmm. She and Dante Bosco come back to basically liberate... Um, their partners. Their, their partners yeah. from the graduation ceremony of the conversion therapy. And she does, she does a cheer that's very cute. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but I'm a cheerleader. I'm going to use that because that's my power and it brings me joy. And now I'm sharing it with you. And then we run off and have this this optimistic Mrs. Robinson ending where they're not playing Sound of Silence as they drive away towards the future of of, of unknown mm-hmm. things. 
It's like, oh, we're kissing and it's happy and not like the ending of that movie. Mm-hmm. But also, I find the cheer extremely cringy and I can't, I can't get over that. <laughs> I, I can't. I, I really hate it. <laughs> That's okay. You're allowed to find it cringy. For me, I love it. I think that it's a, a, a big statement of femininity, mm-hmm. especially when this entire movie is about strict gender roles mm-hmm. and Megan is following them closer to anyone else, but that doesn't make her not gay. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. I think that is great. The ending for me where it gets kind of like, oh God, and bear with me on this. Okay. The ending of But I'm a Cheerleader to me has always felt like the ending of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Sure. In that it's both in the backseat of a truck mm-hmm. and it's presented as this like, haha, we've done it. We've escaped. Let's smile and laugh and have a great time. But then reality sets in for me of like, Megan's not allowed to go home. Graham isn't allowed to go home. They don't have anything. Mm-hmm. They have no money. They can go to Larry and Lloyd's house and like try to get their lives together, but like they've been kicked. They're orphans now. Like they are 18 years old or and just being thrown to the wind. They have really nothing. Not to mention they escaped conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. And as campy and fun and brightly colored as it is, it's still fucking conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. And now they have to like undo that trauma together and also they're 18 year olds in a relationship that's also hard Mm -hmm. so i have this moment where it's like oh my god i'm so glad that they're together but at the same time it's like y'all are walking into such difficulty and that Mm -hmm. joy is gonna dissolve real quick when reality sets in yeah and to me that's always what kind of hurts because i feel the same way about sally at the end of Texas chance where everyone's like it's great she gets away and i'm like she's so fucking scarred and traumatized mm-hmm. and is now gonna have to deal with all of that and i'm always curious like what happened after megan we thought that Dolph should take you out this week to celebrate your new freedom how would that be sure so megan what do you want to do now um larry uh, Megan just made a very traumatic decision, and she's still moving through that. Well, I, I just thought that uh, we could check out some schools in the city, and I could... She's uh... not ready, sweetie. And that No, but absolutely, and that's why I compared it to The Graduate, though. Yeah. And I don't think that... that they're so optimistic and bright-eyed for the future, and they're... At the at this moment, that's the love of your life. Mm-hmm. You're 18, so it's probably not. But in this moment, mm-hmm. you're in love, and you'll never love anyone as much as this person, and that's great. But it doesn't have the immediate set-in of, hello, darkness, my old friend, right. just wash over them as the credits roll in the same way that like the graduate does. Right. But like that is such a clear. Oh, that's that's what that this is the same sort of into the unknown that we're looking at with these yes. characters and. I don't know if I'm satisfied with that. I understand, like, artistically everything that's going on, and I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But that part, it's like, I don't know, that that's life. Mm-hmm. I'm not bothered by that part of the ending. So the one thing that I do want to bring up between the two of us, because I think that it's really important that we do this sort of internal investigation. Mm-hmm. We cover a lot of garbage movies on this yes. show. A lot of them. Mm-hmm. This is a movie, in my opinion, that is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. It's groundbreaking. It, mm-hmm. it, there's nothing like it before or since. Mm-hmm. We've been really fucking critical of this movie. And 
in my opinion, we've been far more forgiving to exponentially worse films than this one. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Is it because the bar is set so high for this movie in a lot of ways? Because this movie has never quite sat right with me. And we, like, we've talked about why it's not sat right with me. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I, I don't need to tell you why this movie is funny. I don't need to tell you why I like these characters. Listen to anyone else tell you why these characters are great. And I'll probably agree with them. I mean, this movie has like a criterion release. Yeah. Like, this has, it just got it, right? It's been established that this is one of the best movies ever made. So like, it's important. Yeah. So I don't need to tell you the things that you already know about it. Mm-hmm. Th- this almost feels like I-, I would be talking down to someone by explaining to them something that they already know. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to explain like my feelings on this film. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my feelings are complicated. And the thing is, I was not trying to, like, set you up or try to aha you or anything. You bamboozle me? I was not trying to bamboozle you by any stretch of the imagination. I was more so asking the question that I know a lot of people are probably having that are listening to this episode of, like, why are you being so critical of this? The reason that we're being critical is because this is a beloved film. Mm-hmm. I do love this movie. I will shout it from the ends of the earth. In my top 20, this is, uh, this is in there. Mm-hmm. I love this movie. But you're absolutely right is that just because it is a really, really good queer movie does not mean that like, okay, we're done. We never have to try to move forward. We don't have to advance because we've already gotten the peak of lesbian cinema. We don't have to do that. I think that we are doing a disservice to our own community if we are not constantly striving for better. And what I'm hearing is because this is a movie that does not sit right with you. We need to find a movie for you. I have this movie. That's great. I don't know. We, we, we sort of covered it last week. <laughs> but I want, I want the good things of Sorority Boys. Yeah. But in a better movie. Yeah. We don't have that yet. Exactly. And that, that's sort of talking about constantly moving forward and being like, oh, no, we did it. We, we, we're done. Like, we got But I'm a Cheerleader. We're done. We did it, Joe. Like, that's, that's the kind of thing that I think about, though, when it comes to, like, Marvel movies where it's like, I don't need any more. We beat Thanos. We're done. We did it. Why do we need more? Oh, that's right. They make a lot of money. But I'm a cheerleader. Didn't make a lot of money. Okay, got it. But it's almost like when you have certain members of the community who are just like, we got gay marriage. We did it. We're mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. but gay marriage wasn't the end goal. That was just something that's that- That's part of it. That was, a, that was like the biggest marketed end goal, but there is no end goal really. Like Liberation until, is the end goal. Yes. And that's <laughs> impossible. Yeah. So given the current state we're of never we're never gonna get there in like a definitive like it's it's like it's like transitioning where it's like, well, you're always gonna be doing something. Like you're you're always improving. Your transitioning isn't like an end process where it's like, oh I transitioned, it was whatever. It's like, no, transitioning is like the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like when if you get surgery or whatever you think is the end of your goal for that, that's that's your that's your Riding off in the back of a truck moment where it's like, hey, cool, you did it. You got to the end of the movie. Now what? Mm-hmm. Now what do you do with the rest of your life? Mm-hmm. Like, it's never the end. And, and, and queer liberation is never, like, going to have a definitive moment that feels like the end. Like, we did it. Congrats. Mm-hmm. Like, we got them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's no law that can be passed where suddenly, like, gay liberation exists. Like, that's that's not a thing. Yeah. So I think that that's it's, – it's really important that we make that distinction because – I know people are going to listen to this episode, and they're probably going to be super bummed out that this wasn't just like just a, a, a good time rom. That this wasn't just a pride parade for this movie. Because the thing is, I throw a pride parade for this movie 
every fucking day of my life. Yeah. I love this movie. I mean, did you think we were going to be a lot more optimistic when we went into this? No, because I, I definitely knew... didn't share all my feelings with you before we sat down. No, because I knew that this was not like a hip hop hooray movie for you. This isn't true, Beverly Hills. Yes. So I knew that there was going to be some like complicated stuff that we were going to talk about. And that's fine, though. You can love movies critically. Mm-hmm. But I'm a Cheerleader is one of the most important pieces of queer cinema to ever exist. Mm -hmm. Does that mean it's perfect? No. There are a lot of things that can be approved upon. Step one, let's have someone that's not RuPaul. (laughs) Oh, God. But the thing is, though, in 1999, RuPaul is the best person for that role. It's only in hindsight where we're like, oh, cool, you're a transphobe who likes fracking. Fuck you. We didn't know that then. Having RuPaul teach kids about gender and like what is correct and what is not (laughs) certainly reads really badly 20 years later. Oh, oh, God. Um, Like, like, there's no way to predict that. Like, no way. No, we we had no idea. Yeah, no, that that's impossible. But you know, I I love this movie. I think it's beautiful. It it means so much to myself and to so many people. But yeah, it's important that we recognize that like we still have so much further to go and there's more stories that need to be told. This is not the only one. And I think we're finally getting to a point culturally where we can have these conversations. I mean, mm-hmm. it's 20 years old. We can we can really start digging deep into this mm-hmm. and moving forward. Yeah, I, I I agree. And man, if I if I if I haven't pissed people off with some of our past episodes, this might be the one that breaks them. Yeah, maybe we'll find we'll, out. We'll see. I I I have really championed some not beloved films and been harsh on some some fan favorites. So, and that that's the thing. We have to be able to continually have these conversations. Movies that we have all written off as bad have things that are great about them, and movies that we have universally considered great have bad elements in them. And if we want to be equitable, we got to do both. And mm-hmm. I think that's what we're doing here today. Yeah, no, it seems perfectly fair. All right. The time has come. But I'm a cheerleader as asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the card back? I feel like maybe I've touched on this a little bit here and there, but no, this movie gets a yes. I did not think, I thought you were going to say maybe. My no. whole heart just kind of like. <gasps> here, here's the thing. It gets a yes, but it's not for me. Mm-hmm. I like the individual pieces of this movie. If mm-hmm. you showed me just a clip of like Kathy Moriarty screaming at people or, you know, Natasha Leone drooling going, I'm a lesbian while cross-eyed. I'm I a l- homosexual. Oh, my bad. <laughs> I like these. I like the pieces of this movie. I just don't like the 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 the, the seedy sadness that boils underneath. I don't mm-hmm. like culturally what makes this movie have to exist in the first place. Mm-hmm. And it's not the movie's fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... The movie's too good at what it does for me to enjoy it. You know, I, I think that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. So like, I know I love this movie on principle. I like the parts of it. I don't enjoy actually watching this movie in in a way that like, you know, we, we, we call them bummer films mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, no, that's a bad time mm-hmm. where I'll watch like a drama or something particular, partic- something particularly horrific that every queer person's always like, but this is a comfort film. <laughs> it's just like, oh, is it? Okay. But I'll, I'll watch those films and go, no, that's really good. I don't want to watch that again. Yeah. And I can look at But I'm a Cheerleader and I can quote But I'm a Cheerleader in the case of I'm a lesbian, not necessarily correctly. 
but I don't want to watch it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sit down and actually watch this movie because mm-hmm. there's too much in in life for me that gets in the way of me enjoying this film the way other people do. And that's completely understandable. And I don't think that anyone could blame you for it. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, it, to me, like if people are going to be mad at you for it after you've so articulately explained like why you feel the way you do about this movie, if people have issue with that, that is far more of a reflection on them than it ever will be of you. Yeah, probably. Well, friends, I think that takes us out of But I'm a Cheerleader. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom, and you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com backslash This Ends at Prom, where we have playlists, mini-sodes, commentary tracks, schedule ahead of time, all sorts of fun stuff there. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where are you? I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And huge thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use Title as our theme song. Y'all are amazing, and it makes me so happy every single week whenever people are like, hey, Sonderbombs, they're awesome. We were even uh, mentioned in the AV Club's roundup of podcasts, and they gave a shout-out to the Sonderbombs, mm-hmm. which that ruled. So in the interest of that, Harmony, do you have a cool band for people to check out this week? I do. Uh, a band that I cannot wait until they release more music called Hoity Toity. Yeah. Has uh, had actually just released the music video for their song, You Know. And I think they maybe have less than like 10 songs that are officially out right now. But what they've got is like super pop driven, super fun, very, uh, very lush. And their aesthetic is extremely femme and pastel and really fits with the aesthetic of this movie. Mm-hmm. But like is also like girl power. Nice. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, check them out, friends. But with all that being said, we will see you all next time. And don't forget, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. all of you. Everyone reads Cosmo. Everyone looks at other girls all the time. But you only assume that they're thinking what you're thinking when they look. But they're not. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.